Now, go with me to Romans chapter 12 and let's continue uh, our look at it. Um, let's start at verse 4 and, and let me just remind you what some of the ground that we've covered and, and then we'll jump into the new ground in verse 6. Um, uh, Paul says in verse 4, Romans chapter 12, for as in one body we have many members, and the members we do not all do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The thing that I tried to explain to you last week had to do with the with the fact that Paul is using a metaphor. He's using an analogy to describe the the, the church, us, and that the the metaphor that he uses is that of a body. Now that's something that's not real new to many of you. At least I hope not. But guys, what you're getting here is basically Paul's doctrine of the church. Um, I, I tried to underscore just how important is this whole... I mean, getting this metaphor is, is, is more than just entertainment. It, it is, it is, uh, it's vital to understanding how the Christian church is supposed to function. That interdependence that is vital to a body. That diversity that leads to unity. That, that, that's, that's, that's important stuff. It's important to know that, that there's a whole lot of weirdos in this room, but the whole lot of weirdos are supposed to be jumbled all together, and in the end, it produces a, a sweet, enjoyable unity. That's the thing we're supposed to be happy about, is the diversity that gives rise to unity. That's, that's woven into this, this metaphor of body, and that uh, the interdependence thing, which should humble us all, uh, that is... We need each other. I need you. You need me. We all got to function together. And, you know, I, I need you to function so that I can function. And I got to function so that you can. That's all woven into this thing called this body uh, illustration. But it is Paul's doctrine of the church. He's giving you this so that he can explain to you what the church is supposed to look like, how she's supposed to function, and what she's supposed to feel like. Okay? Now, from there, he launches into this, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. <laughs> and there is the, there's the guts of the exhortation. He, he, he very plainly points out, okay, y'all, I just told you about this body thing. Uh, did y'all all get that? <laughs> this body thing? Now, uh, in recognition of that illustration, understand this. We all have gifts that differ. That, that's what he says in verse 6. We, got all, we don't all have the same function. And oh, there's a lot of us, you know. We got, we, according to the grace given to us. And then here's, here's the punchline. Let us use them. <laughs> you know, I, I could stop right there and... and um, he doesn't stop there. Um, you'll notice after he says, um, let us use them, he, he, there's a colon in there. Now, guys, uh, in the Greek language, there's no punctuation. There's no colon in the Greek New Testament. But the translators of the New Testament wanted to give you the, the, the sense of what Paul is doing. He gives you this exhortation, let us use them. And then from there to the, to the end of verse 8, he mentions seven Seven distinct, different possibilities of gifts that we might possess. 
Now, this is not the only place he does that. He does it in 1 Corinthians 12. He does it in Ephesians 4. And when you combine them and add them all up, the, the number varies from person to person, but somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 18. There's seven mentioned here. But we're going to try to do all... Well, I'm going to lump it into like 15. I'm going to try... Guys, I've done this before, and I, those of you who have been around when I did it, I'm, I'm a, I risk boring you. But um, if I'm going to be faithful to Romans 12, 6, what the Apostle Paul does is say, let us use them, and then he goes to identify some of them. I, I can't just ignore that. I can't. I could stop at the end of verse 8, but I'm not. But we're going to try to do, instead of doing it in 9 weeks or 12 weeks, we're going to try to do it in 4 we're going to do three this week and then four every other week for three more weeks and we'll, we'll get it all done. At least mentioning all 15 or 18 of these gifts. Okay? Now guys, um, it's, it's, um, I guess the first step that we have to go through, uh, is to find out what, what gift we have. Actually, that, that's really not the first step. I, I guess the first step is to understand this and get this down really clearly that these are gifts. Um, we didn't generate them. They're not some kind of reward for faithful service. They're gifts. And as such, they can be taken away. They're not to be confused with an ability. For instance, some of you might be a school teacher in here, and you might be a darn good one. That doesn't necessarily mean that you've got the spiritual gift of teaching. You know, if you're a school teacher, then put, them, put her in a teaching role or him in a teaching Not necessarily. Because these are different from abilities, ladies and gentlemen. They are charismata. Um, you know, that's, that's the Greek word from which we get the English word charismatic. Well, at the heart of the word is charis. Grace. According to the grace given you. These things are Gifts. You got to get that down. You didn't produce this. And God's not smiling on you. Okay, I'll give him that. It's not a reward for anything. It's a gift that God has entrusted to you because he, he designs or desires that you somehow function with that thing so that the rest of us will be benefited. So I, I guess that's the first thing that we got to get down, get, get down, guys. That these are gifts. Um, don't get real possessive. Um, th- this exhortation is addressed to everybody. It doesn't, it doesn't concern one group over the others or more than the others. That is, we're addressing this to men and not the no, no. It's men and the women. This is a call to all of us. And so, having understood that they're gifts, now the next thing that we ought to do or try to do. Um, is figure out what our gifts are. And by the way, you can have more than one. Um, you might have a couple uh, or three. But guys, may I say this um, just kind of as a, a warning. Um, there, has been, there have been times in the Christian church where the whole idea of knowing one's spiritual gift uh, has has. We've obsessed about it. Gang, may I say to you very clearly that it is not mandatory that you know your gift. It's good. It'd be helpful. 
I think it would, it would, it would enhance your service to Christ. But it is not mandatory. I'll tell you what's mandatory. What's mandatory is that you know Jesus Christ personally. And that you yield to Him and submit to Him and obey Him and serve Him. And I got, I got a, I got a prediction to make. If you do that, I bet sooner or later you're gonna, you're gonna figure out what your spiritual gift is. What happens is that we become so consumed and obsessed with discovering our spiritual gifts. I'm not trying to say that it's unimportant. It is important. But ladies and gentlemen, it ain't mandatory. I hope you can discover your spiritual gift in the next three or four weeks. I hope that, that'd be good. That'd be good. But if you don't, don't sweat it. What is mandatory is that we, that we trust Christ, that we yield to Him, that we obey Him, that we serve Him, and then it'll all work out. I promise you. So don't get focused and fixated on, oh, I don't know my gift. Just get going. Just, just faithfully serve Him, and I bet you sooner or later, um, you'll figure it out. Now, guys, uh, again, I want to apologize to you. I think I have done this two times. That is, this whole spiritual gift thing at Grace Abandon in the 19 years. So some of you have heard all this before, but I, I just didn't feel good about saying, well, the rest of you, some of you hadn't heard it, but too bad because we've already done it twice. It's right here in the text, but we're going to skip it. I just didn't think I could do that. So four weeks and we'll be done, I promise. Now, guys, um, let me say also that sometimes we have to persuade you that you have such and such a gift. And that is the legitimate function of the Christian church. That is, well, I know I couldn't have that gift. Well, you might. And, and part of the function of the body of Christ is to help you figure it all out and even persuade you if that's necessary. What I'm, uh, what I'm simply saying is that we are not alone in this discovery process. Um, we got a whole bunch of people in here, and if you think you got something then you might want to go ask. You know, here's what I think God has given me. God has given me the gift of this. And see how your brothers and sisters in Christ respond to that. might be helpful because you're not alone in this discovery process. We can help you. You know, guys, um, the church of Jesus Christ can say yes or the church of Jesus Christ can say no. That is, no, you don't have that gift. You know, there's a... um, um, there's a lot of men who go to seminary thinking that God has called them to preach and they just as, they, they would do us all a, a service if, if they'd go back home and get a job. Um, did you hear the story? I've told this story before about the man, who, the, the farmer who, who decided that, you know, God had called him to ministry. And so, uh, you know, he preached his first sermon and people were just <laughs> appalled. It was awful. And so afterwards, a, a, a dear old elder came up to him and said, um, uh, Son, uh, um, you got, you feel like God called you? To, he, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. God called me to preach. He said, Well, I, how did you know this? He said, Well, I was out plowing the fields, and, and I saw up in the heavens there was a P.C. And I knew that meant preach Christ. And the elder said, Well, son, in my opinion, God was telling you to plant corn. <laughs> um, 
All, all I'm telling you guys is that the body of Christ can help you. We're, we're here for that reason. Uh, or that's part of the reason that we're here is to, is a, a legitimate function that we have is help each other discover how it is that God has gifted us. Okay. So to the text, he starts with prophecy. Um, he says, um, in verse six, if prophecy in proportion to our faith of service and serve, all those things after the, the, the gift itself, the, after the comma, I, I want to suggest to you, all he's saying is, if you've got it, then for heaven's sake, use it. Get going. Do it. All right. But to the gift itself, the gift of prophecy. Now, guys, when I say the term, when I say the word prophecy, I think I know what comes to your mind. When you think of prophecy, you went to some kind of prophecy conference and you think I'm supposed to unfold a chart up here and tell you when Jesus is coming back. Uh, some kind of prophecy conference. Well, some uh, there was a legitimate function in the Old Testament of the prophet that predicted the future and even some in the New. But somewhere in the book of Acts, somewhere around chapter 13, it seems that the, that the, that the function of the prophet changed and the whole definition of the prophet changed. And, and I want to suggest that the, that the, that the prophet is no one, no longer one who predicts the future. Uh, but the function of the prophet changed when the closing of the canon. That is, when the Bible was completed, the function of the prophet changed. Now, you want to see what the gift, of, what the gift of prophecy is about? It's clearly given to you. It, this is one of the few that you get such a clear definition. It's found in 1 Corinthians 14. Take a look at it. Now, guys, I'm trying to help you find out, is this you? Is this you? Is, do you have the gift of prophet? Um, because there it is for you. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, it says this. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. There's your definition of the biblical gift of prophet. He is one who passes along a word from God that does one of three things or all three things. Uh, the, uh, uh, their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. There it is. Now, guys, um, I, I can tell you this. The, the New Testament seems to put quite an emphasis on the gift of prophet. That is, if you're in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, uh, 14, look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse uh, 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Now, guys, all of us in the Christian world believe that there is no longer a living apostle. That they, that the apostolic age closed with the dying of John. Or maybe, depending on who they, when they died. But somewhere in the early first century, the apostolic age came to a close. There are no longer any apostles. Um, but, so if, if the apostles are gone, then what's, uh, in terms of Paul's rank, what's next? <laughs> Prophets. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual good, especially that you may prophesy. Uh, he says the same thing in verse 5. The one who, um, now I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues and less than someone, et cetera, et cetera. The New Testament places an emphatic emphasis on the gift of prophecy. Why is that? Uh, go to, uh, if you can, real, uh, real fast, find Ephesians chapter two, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break somebody's bubble in here. 
Um, Ephesians chapter 2. Guys, have you ever sang this song in the Christian church? The church is one foundation. It's Jesus Christ, her Lord. Have you ever, ever sung that? That's wrong. That ain't true. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 says, uh, Members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The New Testament never calls Jesus the foundation. It calls Jesus the cornerstone. The church is one cornerstone. You can, you can sing it like that if you want. But it doesn't say that the foundation is Jesus. What does it say the foundation is? Look at it. <laughs> the apostles and the prophets. And we just got through saying that the apostles, they're, they're gone. But um, why is that, ladies and gentlemen? Why is the role of the prophet so important? And what is it that the church is built on? The church is built on the message that God gave to these guys and nothing else. Underneath it all is the thing that God has said. It's not based on experience. It's not based on the ecstatic. It's not based on experience. It's based on the communication of Objective truth given by God to a prophet. They wrote it down and it's contained in here. And so the, the, the very foundation is, is rightly responding to what God has said. The prophet is one who loves to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. That's what a prophet does, guys. Um, let me give you some characteristics, and then we got to move on to the, the other two. Uh, just some characteristics of a prophet, if you think you're one. Um, first of all, this is a verbal gift. It's oracular in, for, in nature. It's something that comes out of here. Um, I, I, we're doing some interviewing, as you know. We're trying to replace uh, uh, Landon Ditto, who is moving up. Um, and we're trying to find a man to, that can take care of that junior high ministry that we absolutely treasure. But um, I met with a young man who is a fine young man. He, he's going to be a gift to somebody real soon. But we started talking about his gift makeup. And I said to him, um, uh, are you more comfortable in front of a large crowd or a small crowd? Oh, small crowd. I said, do you like to stand up in, in behind a... No, not, I mean, I can. I do that, and I, I enjoy it. But what I really like is uh, the discipleship in the small group. Is that not wonderful? Discipleship in the small group? Unfortunately, that's not the job we've got. We've got somebody... We've got a job where somebody's got to stand before the big group and say, thus saith the Lord. It's verbal. It's verbal. There are verbal gifts and there are nonverbal gifts. This happens to be a, conver- a, a verbal one. Um, uh, there is a capacity in the prophet to define and hate evil. He's always talking in blacks and whites. Um, he, they, he's greatly, he frequently is using scriptural truth to, val- to validate his message. He, um, he's concerned about the reputation, the holiness, the character of God. Um, he'll frequently make references to the... By the way, I keep saying he. The New Testament contains a female prophets as well. Um, there's a there's a deep inner awareness of his own shortcomings. 
Um, he's probably harder on himself than he is on other people. Um, Peter, Jonah, um, Elijah, men who had a great sense of their own failings. And by the way, uh, if you have that gift, people are going to misunderstand you. They're going to uh, often um, uh, assume that you're being so frank is because you're harsh and mean. Um, because you always define things in black and white, um, you're going to look impartial. You're going to look intolerant, not impartial. Um, that's a that's a cursory look at the gift of prophet, ladies and gentlemen. If you got further uh, questions, I can I can spend a week on each one of these, but I promised you I wouldn't. I'm going to go in the order that Paul has in his text because he put them in that order for a reason. I don't know what that reason is. If I'd have been writing this, I would have I would have put teaching second, but he didn't. He put serving second. Guys, let me do this real fast, but I love to do this. Service is not one of those gifts that anybody likes to have. And by the way, um, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, there is another word that's found there. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, he talks about helps or helping. I am suggesting to you that those are the same gift, okay? Um, they're different words, but I think what, that's why I say the, the, the number, the total number varies from person to person. I'm saying that the gift of service and the gift of helps is the same thing. But you know, I used to work for Procter & Gamble. Gracious me, this is what they, this is what they give me. Can y'all see that? Oh gosh. Um, well, I used to work for, mm-hmm. Um, I think we bought this from Steve Austell, and this <laughs> this thing is uh, it. There we go. I used to work at Procter and Gamble, and you know um, this is this is how the world thinks, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, when you graduate from the University of Tennessee and take a job with Procter and Gamble, you you enter down here. You enter as a unit salesman, and then if you get promoted, you get to go to the unit manager, and then from there you go to a regional manager. And then from there you go to a, um, oh, um, not district, they had um, a um, division, division manager. And then you went to the president, and then you went to the chairman of the board. And so in our minds, the, the way to really count in this life is start here and work up to there. Because the more people you got under you, the more significant you are. Jesus, t- oh, by the way, this happens in the church, too. You go to the new members class, and you're a member. And then you teach a Sunday school class. And then if you're, you know, they they, uh, they might ask you to head up a committee. And then you might get to, you know, something like, and then you might be an elder. But you can't have this job. I've already got that one. <laughs> no, this, this same kind of paradigm functions in the church. Okay? Now, what Jesus comes along and does in the, in the New Testament is inverts the thing. And says, over here, the more people you got under you, that's greatness. But in Jesus' kingdom, the more people you got over you, that's greatness. Guys, serving, I mean, I I don't know that I have to identify that, but there's some people who just hate the idea of any kind of limelight, any kind of spotlight. They don't want to be that. They love to meet unmet needs. Uh, They get involved in task-related things. They're not, they just want to get a job done. Um, They they, want to... They want to help. 
They want to make the thing work well. They want to make use of available resources to meet needs and accomplish the desired goals. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, though, whereas this might be the least, um, flat, I just sat on my watch. Um, this might be the least flashy and, and I'm, I don't know of a church anywhere that could function anywhere close to decently without a flock of these people. Um, again, it's, it's not a, it's not an out front thing and it's certainly not verbal. Um, but the whole attitude of serving, you know, that's something we're supposed to hire out. You know, guys, there are churches all around this city who um, hire, who pay for their nurseries to be manned by um, uh, hourly employees. May God help us if, um, if we have to hire people to take care of, to take care of children that God entrusted to us. Um, you know, Dorcas is mentioned in the book of Acts. Uh, she was the great model. Um, she, uh, you know, she sewed. You remember that? That's a pretty mundane kind of thing, isn't it? Sewing. <laughs> um, not a glamorous thing. Not a whole lot of, uh, you know, pizzazz. You don't get very many votes for elder because you sew. But um, she is mentioned. I'm sorry. That was ugly. <laughs> My wife sews, and 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 let's have a round of applause for. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I didn't mean to say that sewing thing. Uh, <laughs> um, but guys, uh, if you if you've got the gift of service, um, you are alert and eager to meet practical needs of others. Uh, you want to meet these needs quickly. There's a willingness to use personal funds. If, if you know, there's there's an involvement in a variety of activities with, and, and here's one of your downfalls: the inability to say no. Um, guys, um, uh, if you've got this gift and somebody needs to help you guard your family, um, very frankly, some of you can do uh, uh, anything that you're given to do. You can do it well. But there's some things that you really do need to say no to. And, and um, when you're being asked to do things that really kind of, you know, turn your crank, um, you know, I just want to meet needs, then um, it's, it is hard to say no, but um, uh, you need to learn. Okay, here's the last one for the night. The, 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 the last one he mentions here, he says, um, if prophecy in proportion to faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching. Now, guys... Um, I could, I could just talk for a long time about this gift. The New Testament makes a distinction between um, teaching and prophecy. In fact, um, I, also, I, I almost want to use the word preaching as, as a synonym for prophecy, but I'm not sure I can. But l- let me just read you this. Don't turn. We ain't got, tell me, I ain't got about five more minutes. But Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, et cetera, et cetera. Do you see what they're saying? There at the church in Antioch, there were some prophets. And there were some teachers. Those are two different things. And there's several places that I, that I could have turned to. There's several, um, uh, dis- I mean, there's several passages that make that distinction. But what is the distinction? What is the distinction between um, a teacher and a prophet? 
Um, well, guys, I don't know if this will help you. We, we should spend 15 minutes on this, but just there's um, there's um, an emotion. There is a drama. There is a compulsion that comes along with the prophet that doesn't necessarily come along with the teacher. The teacher loves to put precept under precept, line upon line. He loves to study. He loves to be able to define and explain. But you're not necessarily going to get a punchline at the end. Um, a, a, a prophetic utterance is usually something that says, No! Do that, you know? And, and, a, and a teacher is not necessarily going to include that dimension. Now, guys, i got to say this real quick and then we're done. A um, couple of things. Gang, first of all, those of you who think you have the gift of teaching, and there are usually a, a, quite a few, be very careful. Do you know the only time in the Bible that something like this is said is said about the teacher? Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such, you will incur a stricter judgment. Did you hear that? You want to teach, do you? Come on. We, we, we'll, we want a bucket load of them. But just understand that if you stand in front of a group of people and say, this is what this book says, then you will incur a stricter judgment. That's the warning of James chapter 3, verse 1. Now, guys, um, why is it that there's so much said? Why is that warning... Um, why, why did there, was, does there seem to be such a, a boundary, a fence placed around this thing, which doesn't, is not associated with the prophet, the, the, the prophetic office. But around this it is. And I want to suggest this and we'll, we'll quit with this, but, well, I don't want to, I, real quick. Guys, in the Christian religion, the most important thing we got Is truth. Don't you mess that up. Don't you go start saying things that ain't true. Gang, the Bible says you shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. That is such a pregnant statement. It sets you free from the bondage of your own guilt. I did that. Yes, you did. And I'm sorry you did it. I wish you hadn't have done it, but you did. But truth will set you free from living with your own guilt. This thing is, you know, Jesus before Pilate, I love this, this, this dialogue when Jesus, um, he uses the word truth and Pilate stops him and says, well, what is truth? And Jesus says, um, you know, if you know the truth, you know me. That's a, that's a paraphrase. Let me show you one quick thing. I want you to see this. If you can find Galatians really quick. Guys, um, in my world, the world of theological education, which I value and prize, there's a danger in that world because, as Paul says, knowledge puffs up. And, and, and as beautiful as truth is, um, it, it can be dangerous because, guys, 
truth is not simply to be known. I point you to this text in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. Galatians 5, 7. You were, you were running well. Who hindered you? Look what it says. Look at it. From obeying the truth. Gang, it ain't enough to know the truth. The truth is, is not even designed to be known. <laughs> That's not really true, but it's designed to be known so that it can be obeyed. And once I know it, I'm supposed to obey it. Truth unobeyed, truth possessed and unobeyed, uh, it leads to Phariseeism, legalism, judgmentalism, it leads to all kinds of ugly stuff. Hypocrisy, all the things we say we hate. And we hate them rightly. Um, if you're, um, if you got the gift of teaching, you love the accuracy of words, um, you delight in research, uh, you like to present truth in a systematic manner, um, you, you're not real comfortable around uh, subjective stuff, um, you, you love to build your argument and your case based on the truth of God. And then if you've got that gift, people are going to, um, they're going to talk bad about you behind your back. They're going to say, um, uh, he seems to be proud of what he knows. Um, your, your emphasis upon the accuracy of biblical interpretation um, might appear to be coldness towards those who are just trying to love Jesus. Um, uh, you may appear to lack warmth and empathy because um, truth is the thing that lights your fire. Uh, those are just some possibilities, guys, but... Um, just know this, there is the possibility in the Christian church of the false prophet and the man who spreads heresy, the false teacher. The only safeguard you have is your own personal knowledge of what's contained in here. Let's quit for the night. Lord, I pray that you'll help your people find what grace you've given to them, what gift is theirs because you, do, you granted it in your sovereignty, that the Spirit's choice for each one of us is, um, is found so that we can employ it and deploy it for the good of the body. But Lord, um, guard us. Guard us from foolishness. Guard us from uh, missing the mark by by being more concerned about gifts than we are graces, that we're more concerned about um, spiritual gift tests than we are about the fruit of the Spirit. We're more concerned about gifts of the Spirit than His fruit. So, Father, uh, guard us from imbalance, but lead us. Lead us to the place where we discover what it is that you would have us do for the upbuilding of the body of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. Thank you and good night.